The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Welcome to Season 2 of Students of Mind, the podcast where we aim to normalize conversations about mental health. Last season, we connected you with experts in the field of mental health to provide an understanding of topics and illnesses that may not have been easily accessible. This season, we will continue our learning journey together by not only speaking to experts, but also by listening to the voices and stories of real people who are living, surviving, and even thriving while also facing challenges with their mental health in their everyday life. This season, we want to hear your stories to get the full truth of what it's like to manage one's mental health and navigate living with mental illness. I'm your host, Jade, and on today's episode, we're discussing depression, or major depressive disorder, an illness that is experienced by hundreds of millions of individuals worldwide and is currently experiencing an upsurge following the chaos of 2020. I sit down with Haisu Jo, a licensed marriage and family therapist and the clinical support lead at BetterHelp to get an overview of depression and how it can be experienced. I also have a discussion with Melanie Santos, a wellness leader and intuitive healer, to talk about her journey with dealing with depression. I hope by listening to the show, you're able to learn something new and gain some encouragement through hearing our experts and listening to the journeys of our guests. However, this show is not a substitute for professional advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your mental health professional or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have about your condition. Never disregard professional advice or delay in seeking it because of something you have heard on the Students of Mind podcast. In this first part, I talk with Haisu Jo, a therapist and the clinical support lead at BetterHelp, an online therapy platform. In our discussion, we talk about the many different ways depression can be experienced, how it can be treated, and some of the different types of depression. Haisu also debunks some of the common myths that we hear about depression and shares a little bit of how it shows up in her life. Hi, Haisu. Thank you so much for being here. Hi, Jade. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. um, So before we get started into the questions, uh, can you tell us just a little bit about yourself and the work that you do? Sure. Um, So I'm a licensed therapist and I do see clients, um, but... Uh, not very many. So what do I do with most of my day? I do work at BetterHelp, which is an online counseling platform, and I am part of the clinical operations team. Um, We do a whole bunch of different stuff, but I like to think of our team as being um, the folks that are available to help support other clinicians to be successful on this platform. Um, Of course, we also do some work with the clients that use these services too. Um, And I've been with the company for a few years, so um, I think it makes sense for an online counseling company to have some therapists on staff um, to help with a variety of different things, whether that's communication with other counselors, um, supporting them, answering their questions, um, or even just like 
providing some clinical insight and a framework and perspective when it comes to product changes, updates, features to the platform. Okay, awesome. Um, I just, I'm, over the past few years with all of the um, online therapy platforms, like coming up, it's just been so cool to me because so many people don't have access to therapy for so many reasons and to be able to right. access it on your computer or your phone and anywhere, it's just so cool to me. Yeah, it's a... Uh... Uh, it's cool to me too. <laughs> I mean, um, when you t- when you talk about access, I even think about just like the access of knowledge, access of knowing what therapy is. And I think for so many people, that's just not there. Um, and so now that these online platforms exist, you're seeing advertisements on social media in spaces that so many young people are on, um, people of every age, really. So it's pretty exciting. It's been cool. It's been yeah. in- nice to be part of this like movement that's hopefully helping destigmatize too, and just bring um, a little bit more normalcy to seeking out this kind of support. Yeah. A lot of the people I grew up with just didn't know or have the, the language to express mm. the ways they were feeling in terms of their mental health. So um, with those ads that you were talking about with BetterHelp, like the ads are like directed really nicely in a way that's kind of like very visual and not too wordy and it's easy to understand like what the platform is for. So yeah, again, I'm just so excited about the fact yeah, that it's yeah, super relatable. Um, mm-hmm. Where I grew up, who I grew up with, like I didn't know what therapy was and I certainly didn't know how to articulate some of the things I was feeling and the things I was going through internally. Um you know, my parents are immigrants. And so a lot of the the people that I grew up with had a similar experience to that because I grew up in an enclave. And I think um, that particular population of people um, has an even harder time sometimes accessing healthcare in this country, um, whether that's because of financial means or just because like your parents don't know what it is. So. All right. Thank you for sharing um, a little about yourself. So this, so this episode is going to be focused on depression, um, which I feel like is something, you know, when that word is said, a lot of people kind of know what it is. But when you talk about depression as like a mental illness, some people may not know like the full extent of it. Um, So the questions I have for you are basically just what is depression? So when we say the term depression, what do we mean? Like, what is the criteria that makes someone have depression? Mm-hmm. Um, well, some of the key things is like this persistently uh, affected mood, right? Like your mood is really referring to the way that you feel. So some people might refer to this f- sense of sadness, but again, it's persistent, meaning it doesn't really go away. Um, other than sadness, some feelings that are used to describe is like emptiness, a numbness. Um, there's a general loss of interest in activities. So that includes like just doing anything. And this causes impairment in your daily life. So, um, you know, there's there's feelings and emotions that everybody experiences. And in general, these feelings don't stop us from living our lives a lot of times. Um, but depression is a little bit different in the sense that it can really disrupt your daily habits, routines, your relationships, your ability to function at work or at school if you're a student. 
Okay, so are there any known like causes um, that lead to depression? Um, and then also, like, what are some risk factors that make certain people more susceptible to develop in depression? Mm-hmm. So, like a lot of things, we actually don't know exactly what causes depression. You know, there, I don't think that anybody's really been able to identify one singular thing that's been the reason that every single person is depressed, right? Like depression manifests so differently in each person that experiences it. Um, And even in the way that we see the symptoms come up in a lot of different people, it could be affected to like what's going on with them. But like what we do know is that um, folks that have experienced some kind of trauma, which includes like abuse in their childhoods or even in adulthood, grief, um, loss of somebody, um, even caused by medical illness sometimes or medications, adjustments to changes in life or some kind of major event, um, like existential crises, which we can get into if you would like to in a bit. Um, some people say genetics might play a part. Um, and is it genetics or is it just like the nurture side of growing up and being exposed to other people that have depression. So is it truly that it's in our genes or is it that we watched it and we learned what it was and adopted that into our own lives? Um, Substance abuse can be connected to depression too, but then you can ask the chicken or the egg question. It's like, do people get into substances because they're depressed or do people get more depressed because they start using? Um, So Everything I said, plus so many other things could be causes, but there's certainly risk factors. And um, I wish I could say what the cause was, because then we can all try to avoid it. Uh, But really, I think depression has become truly these days, like part of the human condition. I think anybody that you talk to is probably going to say that they've experienced it or been touched by it in some way or another. Um, So is it that being human causes depression? (laughs) Um, so, yeah, yeah I, I wish I could give you a more definitive answer to that, but um, yeah, I don't think we know exactly what causes it. Um, so you talked a little bit about genetics, um, and I'm just wondering, like, based on everything we know, are there like uh, like physical differences in the brain or like chemically in people who are depressed versus people who aren't? Um, well. The- I mean, I'll tell you, like, mental illness and stuff that goes on with us emotionally is being researched all the time. And so our understanding of it is evolving every day, right? And uh, I think what we do know, what we have observed is depression can trigger, um, like, increased production of cortisol, which is a stress hormone. And when there's this increase of cortisol... Um, it can it, uh, it can make the amygdala in your brain to get bigger. So that's a part of your brain that's associated with emotional responses. And when the amygdala is enlarged and like more active, it can cause disturbances to your sleep, changes in your activity level, and a whole bunch of other hormonal changes. So um, in that sense, there has been some evidence that something's going on in your brain when you're depressed now. Um, there's also something I think you mentioned, uh, chemically. Um, so there's stuff in, uh, within us, right? Neurotransmitters. These are chemicals that our nervous system uses to communicate with each other. Um, and dopamine specifically and serotonin, um, are associated with various feelings that we have. 
So dopamine is, um, you know, when you feel really good after achieving something or when you get this pleasurable sensation because you did something that you enjoy, that feeling is coming from dopamine. And so I think we think that with depression, there's some kind of dysfunction going on with your dopamine system. Um, and there's also a lot of ongoing research with the relationship between serotonin and other neurotransmitter and depression. So um, a lot of people think of serotonin as like the feel good hormone or the neurotransmitter really. And, you know, I don't think we know yet whether it's about us not producing enough serotonin on our own or if it's how we absorb it or if something going on there is just not working the way it would if we felt better. Uh, but there definitely is some kind of connection as evidenced just by the efficacy of um, certain antidepressants. So there's um, a class of antidepressant, the SSRI is a selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor. Um, this increases levels of serotonin within the brain, and a lot of people report that it makes them feel better. So um, really, I think there could be a whole episode of your podcast on its own about um, what's going on physiologically, biologically in our brains. And it's a bunch of stuff that I haven't even wrapped my head around since it's not my area of expertise. But that's just like some of the stuff that I know um, about what might be going on beyond just how we feel and what we're thinking about. Right. Yeah. So you, you talked a little bit about medication, which goes into my next question about treatment for depression. Um, mm -hmm. So you said medication, but like, what are some of the most common forms of treatment for people who have depression? Um, so you probably, if you look into this, you're going to find that the recommendations are, are to be in therapy. Um, and maybe you're on medication. So really it's the combination of the two. That's like the standard of care when it comes to depression treatment. Um, now what's an unfortunate reality is that depression can be very treatment resistant, which is just like words that people use to say, sometimes people can try therapy forever. They'll try all kinds of different medication and they still don't feel good. Um, so that just kind of fits into the, we still don't understand all of this stuff. Um, I think beyond like what you can be doing in therapy and what medications are available for you to try, um, your therapist and or your doctor is probably going to say something about or discuss how your diet and your exercise plays a role in your mood too. Um, so I do like to think that like treatment can also come from just the lifestyle that we live, which can be so hard to manage when you're depressed because sometimes you just don't have the motivation, the energy um, the desire to take care of yourself. So yeah, I think right now research is indicating that it's the combination of medication and therapy uh, that's recommended for treating this. Um, and just a follow-up question, which I know <laughs> probably be a little hard to answer, but um, like just in terms of like prevalence, um, like how common is depression and what is like the typical duration of care for people who are being treated for depression? You were correct. These are hard to answer. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, when it comes to stats with like any illness, we can make estimates based on the number of people that have sought care, right? Like there's so many people that are experiencing all kinds of illnesses and they never go look for a doctor for it. And so they're not being reported somewhere. Um, so it's missed. So by estimation, 
there's like 17 million U.S. adults that have had at least one major depressive episode. So that comes out to about 7% of adults 18 and over. Uh, prevalence rates look a little bit different in kids and in adolescents, um, but I know that stuff is all online. So that's a lot of people. But I think beyond those 17 million estimated, I think, like I said, I think everybody has had some kind of experience with depression, whether they've met criteria for a major depressive episode or not. And then when it comes to duration of treatment, for some people, it's ongoing, you know, they'll be in therapy in and out for the rest of their lives. And for some folks, it could be a little bit shorter term, anywhere from a few weeks to several months or a year. Um, because it can look like, you know, gaining the skills and the tools to manage uh, the illness that you're living with. Um, and I think a lot of people will also try therapy for a little bit and then stop and then come back at some later point in their life. Um, and really it's just about maintenance. Um, you know, sometimes you get sick and you see the doctor for it and then they tell you to come back in a year to follow up, to check on whatever it was that was going on. And I, I kind of think of the same way with our mental wellness too. Um, it doesn't hurt to ever go back to check things out, uh, with a professional. Um, so you were right. It is hard to answer. I don't have a clear answer for how long, um, especially since like even I don't I don't I don't know if I can say that there's a cure for depression. I don't know if anybody can really say that. Right. So it's very hard to say. Yeah, that was that was going to be my next thought is like, you know, I was wondering if it's more about trying to like, like get rid of the symptoms altogether or more of like learning to main or uh, manage them and, and be able to like go through life, even though these episodes might come up, but just knowing how to like take care of them when they do come up. Yeah. And, and different kinds of therapy will focus on different aspects of what you just said. Um, I think in all therapy, there's going to be like a similar feature of trying to get to a point where, yes, you can figure out how to take care of yourself when difficulties come up in your life. Um, because difficulties don't ever go away. Therapy is never going to make uh, all the hardships in your life disappear. No amount of medication is going to change your financial status or your relationships with your family or stressors at school and at work or just like all the various sociopolitical things that are going on around you. So I think there's big value in being in therapy to learn how to you know, navigate the world in healthier ways. Um, when we are depressed or when we're experiencing any kind of mental challenge or unwellness, um, it's really easy to let go of all the skills that are involved with um, being able to just take care of ourselves. Um, yeah, and, and just to kind of get into like a little more detailed for you know someone who's not sure if they're at the point when they should be like seeking help like what are what are some signs that indicate that maybe you should be like seeking some help and some care yeah that's a good question um like if we think about like the medical model and how we see going to the doctor you know we have like our annual physical checkups and then in general, you don't go see the doctor until you're sick, until you start seeing symptoms. And I think a lot of times people will assume that they should do the same thing when it comes to their mental health. Um, I won't go see someone until I'm sick. Um, but I think with like mental unwellness, there is a benefit in going before that. Um, so 
that's why it's really good to just practice the art of paying attention to your mood, um, paying attention to how you're feeling at any given minute and what kind of thoughts that you're having. And like, this is all part of something called mindfulness. So for those of you that haven't heard of that, I really encourage people to check that out. It's just a concept of being in tune with your present moment, because the better in tune you are with yourself, the more you can start recognizing when something's a little bit off. Um, but the, the actual symptoms of depression that somebody's probably going to assess for if you go see a therapist or, I mean, I kind of touched on some of them before, like, but this persistently sad or empty or hollow, numb mood, um, like a loss of interest, a lack of motivation to do anything. Um, so that might feel like just being tired all the time. You don't have a lot of energy. So like a literal slowdown in your movements or even in your thoughts, um, might be experiencing disruptions to your sleep patterns. So whether that's like you're sleeping way more than you normally do, or you can't sleep at all, there's probably going to be maybe a disruption to your appetite. Um, a lot of people report just not finding pleasure in eating anymore. Like stuff just doesn't taste good. They don't like going to the restaurants that they used to enjoy. Um, you might be experiencing difficulties with concentration. So that's like focusing on work, but also memory stuff. You might find yourself being forgetful about things that you normally weren't. Um, I think like if you're noticing difficulties in your relationships with important people, that could be a sign of a whole bunch of different stuff. Um, but, you know, it's really hard to be an effective communicator if you don't care about anything. And, and that's part of being depressed. Um, so with that, I think there's so many challenges that come with self-esteem um, so like a sense of worthlessness and then these cycles of guilt that we find ourselves in, like guilty for feeling this way or guilty for not being able to make ourselves better. And then we start feeling shame. Um, so on top of being depressed, now you start feeling really bad about yourself. Um, and of course, depressed people can also start contemplating suicide. So suicidal ideation is also something that comes up. So any number of these things, any one of these things, I think if you notice that going on in your life, it's it's definitely worth it to consider at least looking into what it would look like for you to start talking to somebody professionally, because I think everybody owes it to themselves to try something um, to live a healthy life. Like, you know, I don't know the meaning of life. I don't know why we're all here. I don't know about purpose and everything, but it's like we are here and I think um, there is beauty in this world and, and that's part of why I became a therapist. I want to try to help people find that again. Um, and if they've never felt it before, try to help them discover it. Yeah, that's great. That's so refreshing to hear. Um, so my next question just has to do with like, uh, like if someone goes online and you just search depression, there's a lot of different uh phrases that come up like there's so many uh different ways or different like phrases that seem to fall under the category of depression so mm -hmm. like what are the differences between those and like are there different types of depression um so first i'll say you know like in in the field of psychology i think like people that study this stuff just really like giving words and labels to all these things that everybody experiences. Cause for some reason there is like this like comforting or validating experience when you read about this thing that you've experienced knowing like, Oh, I'm not alone. Other people have gone through this. Like somebody actually understands 
this thing I've been grappling with and this thing that I don't understand. So when it comes to language, like you are right, like every kind of anything is going to have lots of words to describe it. We've already been talking about what depression is. When you see that phrase clinical depression, I think it's just a reference really to something a little bit more severe. Um, you know, we all experience depression from time to time, like I said, but what makes it clinical is that it's persistent. So you feel these things like pretty much all day, every day for two weeks or more than that. So that's kind of like the time frame that's being used as criteria. And again, it's, it's causing impairment to your life. So there's something called high functioning depression. So this kind of goes into your question. Are there different types? Yes, tons. Um, I can't go into all of them in the time that we have, but like, High functioning depression, um, it's also known as dysthymia. It's, you know, you experience a lot of the stuff that we've been talking about, but it's not really causing too much impairment in life. Like you're able to keep your job. You might even be excelling at your job. You're maintaining relationships. Your diet is good. Your sleep schedule's fine. Um, so if anything, it can be very difficult to pinpoint what's going on with you if that's um, your situation. Um, you mentioned major depressive disorder. So that's just like, it's kind of an interchangeable phrase for clinical depression. So clinical depression is also known as major depressive disorder, MDD. Um, it is one of the most common mental disorders in the U.S. Um, and that kind of just speaks to everything that we were talking about that like, I think everybody experiences it from time to time. And whether you get diagnosed, whether you get reported in these statistics, I think very much depends on whether you look for care and um, you seek that diagnosis. Like, I don't think you have to have a diagnosis given to you by a therapist or a doctor um, to have it, right? You could definitely be experiencing this stuff without needing that formal label. And, you know, there's like depression as it relates to adjustment. So it could be that there's been some major event in your life and then you feel depression after that. And then sometimes it resolves itself without treatment pretty quickly. Um, there's a lot of stuff online that people can find about different kinds of depression that are associated with different things. Um, there's this idea called comorbidity. It's just like experiencing multiple mental health disorders at the same time. And depression is an unfortunate friend of many other things that somebody can be experiencing. So like medical illness, for example, this causes a lot of people to feel depressed because they've lost some kind of ability physically. It might cause them to lose their jobs. And so I think loss of sense of self and identity and like, you know, feeling like you no longer have the strength to take care of yourself and you have to rely on others for whatever reason, we've all decided that that makes us weak. And, um, and then that can definitely contribute to depression too. Um, okay, so now I kind of want to talk about misconceptions. Um, there's a lot out there when it yeah. comes to mental health. <laughs> but um, I, I'm just wondering, like, specifically for depression, what are some of the, like, common misconceptions that you um, experience or, like, your patients talk about experiencing? Um, so I actually work with a lot of clients that are people of color and that's just like something that's really personal to me. We shared a little bit about our upbringings and not knowing what therapy was. And, you know, like, uh, this thing I've heard from so many clients from like marginalized communities is that they've been told by their parents or their loved ones that it's all in their head. 
they, they come to them to say like, I'm depressed. And then they're met with responses of like, it's all in your head. You're just making it up. It's not a big deal. So that is a misconception, right? That it's something that you can will yourself out of that you can do and feel better. If you just try hard enough. Um, I've heard that a lot that like, you're just being lazy. And that's why uh, you're feeling so bad. Like, I think that's pretty common misconception in a lot of communities. Um, so on the flip side of that, it is an illness, it's a disease, and it needs some kind of intervention, if not professional treatment to get better from. And, you know, it's a condition that often has physical issues, too. So it's not just a feeling, it's not just made up in somebody's head. Um, another, I think, kind of fairly common misconception is that only women get depressed, um, or that it like affects women more often. Um, and truly, like, depression doesn't care what your sex or gender identity is. It's true that more women seek treatment. And in many societies, I think that there is this idea that an outward display of some kind of vulnerability from men, it's like been mutated into some kind of sign of weakness. And so I think there's less reports of men seeking treatment, but I don't think that that means men don't get depressed. So I think that's another thing. Another myth that's like kind of related to that is that I guess the misconception is that depression affects everybody the same, that you're all going to have these symptoms that we were talking about. But really, I think it looks different in a lot of different people. Um, so some of the symptoms I didn't really talk about are like getting angry a lot, irritability, um, physical aches and pains. Um, some of these things are not always at the top of the list of depression symptoms, um, but depression can just it manifests in people very differently. So like, it could be that you don't feel sad necessarily. I mentioned like feeling down or empty or hollow or numb or just like everything doesn't really have a point anymore. But like, I don't, I feel like people have had experiences where they talk to someone who thinks they know what depression is. And then the person describes what they've been going through and then their friend's like, well, that's not depression, so I don't think you're depressed. Like, I think there's some kind of misconception there about, like, depression looks one way. So if you don't fit that description of it, then you must not be depressed. But really, it can, like, show up in so many different ways in our lives. Um, I think for some people, it might be a misconception that medication will cure it or, or that it's, like, a 100% foolproof treatment that will make it go away. And that's unfortunately not true. Um, it can help manage some of the symptoms for sure. Um, so meds are not always the answer, but they can certainly be helpful for a lot of people. I think some people think that you can't be depressed unless you've gone some gone through something really bad. So like this, I hear more from people who are expressing some kind of difficulty trying to communicate this to their parents a lot of the time, like trying to tell them that they feel bad, that they are depressed, that so-and-so and so. And then the response is like, but your life is so easy. Like, why would you be depressed? Um, so I hear that a lot that like, you know, if you're wealthy, then you can't get depressed. Um, so misconceptions about just like life circumstance um, and having had to have experienced something really terrible in order to be depressed. So that again, speaks to us not really knowing what the causes are. Sometimes people can have a really, you know, privileged life that doesn't have as many hardships as somebody else, but they could still be very, very depressed. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm really glad you mentioned just how it can look so different for so many people. And I feel like 
also it can look different in different periods of life for the same person like um and for me like just to provide like a personal example you know my depression when I was 13 and 14 looks completely different to when I go through periods of depression now and Mm -hmm. you know it's even hard for like myself to be like I'm experiencing depression when my life in general is like a lot better and I feel like I'm in a good place. Um, Mm. So yeah, I think it was really important that people know that one, like depression doesn't mean that, doesn't have to mean that you're like not happy with where you are in your life. It can also show up in like, like for me, for example, like extreme exhaustion and like having a hard time to like manage my other mental health stuff because of that exhaustion and because of like a lack of motivation. But it's not so much I'm like hopeless or or sad, Mm -hmm. like it, it shows up in different ways. So yeah, I think that's really important just to like emphasize for people. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I had a thought, like, as you were saying that, I was thinking about, like, how depression has been showing up in my life, you know, and what you said really stuck with me is that it's not always about, like, feeling hopeless or, um, like, that forlorn. Sometimes it's just, like, my sink is overflowing with dishes. And even though it's overflowing with dishes, it's like, why? I haven't been cooking because I have no motivation. I order out so often. And I start thinking about this combination of stuff. Like, I feel like I'm pretty depressed right now. I just can't get my sh- together, you know? Um, so yes, definitely uh, manifests in different ways, different chapters of our lives. It comes up differently too. Um, you know, for some people, it, it makes it so you can't brush your teeth every day or you don't want to take a shower. You can't, you know, do your laundry. Um, all this daily stuff becomes so incredibly difficult and and then you have everybody on the outside just saying that you're not trying hard enough and and um, that can be very painful to hear from the folks that you really care about yeah and I think um you know last year uh 2020 was a time where there was just a lot of grief and loss for everyone um and so I think that kind of kind of woke people up a little bit about uh the realness um of mental health in general uh my last question or last couple questions is uh just about like resources um for people who either you know are struggling know someone who's struggling think they may be struggling or just like generally want to learn more about depression like what are some resources that you would suggest for those people um well the internet as broad as that is we've been talking about it but what a great tool to have like access to the world's knowledge at your fingertips if you really want to just get some general information about mental health and you can find stuff specifically about depression um, i would check out national alliance on mental health nami um, all these places, if you just Google them, you'll find their websites really fast. There's also the, the National Institute of Mental Health, NIMH. Um, there's also SAMHSA, which stands for Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration. Um, so these are a few places I would definitely recommend looking into. Um, and then, you know, just with an online search, 
you can start looking for counseling that's local to you. Um, most therapists are now meeting virtually until you can start meeting safely in person. I don't know when that will be. Um, and you can also find support groups online. Um, and then you can also try checking out betterhelp.com. So that's an option to look into. And, you know, if, if you first want to find out more about it, you can just check out the website. There's an FAQ. Um, you can also email the team. If you have any questions and you want to get an answer from an actual person, you can email contact at betterhelp.com. Thank you so much for having me. Um, it's like a lot of really important stuff that I hope is helpful for someone. You know, times are hard for all of us. So um, if there's any other follow-up questions you have, you can feel free to email me or any other way that we can help. In the second part of this episode, you will hear my conversation with Melanie Santos. Melanie is an intuitive healer with lived experience with dealing with depression. She shares where her healing journey started, where she is now, and how she used her own experiences to be in her career as a healer. Welcome, Melanie. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Um, before we get into the topic of the day, uh, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself and the work that you do and how you're doing today? I am a wellness leader, um, a wellness entrepreneur, I should say, an intuitive energy healer, a spiritual guide, a creator, writer, and speaker. And what I'm really focused on is um, educating people on the connection between um, our mind, body, and spirits and really living intentional lives to get to create the lives that we really want. So I guess my first question is, as you know, this episode is focused on depression. Um, and, you know, I want to learn about you, uh, but I also want to learn about your experience in uh, like experiencing the depression, being diagnosed, and then what happened afterwards. So my first question is, when were you first diagnosed um, and like what led up to that diagnosis? Okay, so I was diagnosed twice. Um, I was a, lived a normal childhood, to my knowledge. When I got to college is when I really started to feel conflicted in the way that my emotions were working. Um, it was actually during one of my general doctor visits when I was home from college, like during a break, um, where my doctor asked, well, how are you doing mentally? And I'm like, well, I'm experiencing X, Y, and Z. Like my stress was through the roof. Um, for context, I am the daughter of an educator. So I've always felt the pressure of doing well in school. I've always been an honor student. And going into college, nobody told me that that transition from elementary school to high school was one thing, but the transition from high school to college is a whole different set of pressures. You know, I was having, um, experiencing problems in adult relationships for the first time, um, in honors classes, and just experiencing a whole bunch of things, you know, living alone for the first time. I, I dormed in college. All these different pressures that were really taking a toll on my mental health. Um, 
And right then and there, my doctor was like, whoa, well, it seems like you're experiencing depression. So he diagnosed me with depression. I did some more testing and they formally diagnosed me with depression. Um, and all that because I was 18, I got to keep that from my parents. So I never told anybody. And, uh, and that was because I thought that it felt like a death sentence for me. Um, so I kept it to myself and years went by, my depression got worse. Um, I was also experiencing what I didn't know then were symptoms of anxiety. Um, and it wasn't until my early twenties when I was back living at home, I graduated college, um, working, trying to establish my life and really learn who I was, uh, where I met a bout of depression that was so bad that I almost took my life. Um, I was completely, you know, disabled in bed for a week straight. I didn't call into my job and I was in a more senior position at this point. Um, didn't call my job, just didn't show up and just didn't get up to shower, to eat, to do anything. And at that point, uh, my parents who didn't really understand the way that I did things. Um, again, always been a student in school, but at home, I was always like the problem child. Uh, for context, I am Latina. Uh, my mother's Cuban, a Cuban immigrant. My father's a Dominican immigrant. Um, so we're expected as Latinx women to behave a certain way at home. Um, so my school life was one thing, but at home, I was a problem child because I was constantly talking back. What I didn't know was happening were was that I was having like depression and anxiety attacks. And, and for my family, that didn't make sense. They didn't immediately go to that because we didn't talk about mental health. Mental health is not talked about in black and brown communities. So they immediately went towards, oh, you're being disrespectful or you're acting out. Um, and it wasn't until years later that I understood why this was happening. So when I experienced this bout of depression that almost took my life was when they finally were like, okay, maybe she actually has a problem. This is something that we're going to, we're going to have to intervene. We're going to have to help her through. Um, so that was sort of my, um, diagnosis experience. Yeah. So I'm wondering, you talked a little bit about this, but, um, just your knowledge about depression and anything mental health related before you went through even your first diagnosis, like how much knowledge did you have about it? Very, very little, I would say. Again, mental health is not still to this day, you know, I've, I've been working my best to to fight this, uh, fight the stigmas, but it's not something that's spoken about, um, especially in, in Latinx households. Um, what I thought depression was, I knew meant sadness. You know, we all see the Zoloft commercials on TV and you see the little, you know, rolling ball who, oh, immediately takes depression pills and it's happy. And now you're living a happy life. So I thought depression was something that one could only be combated by uh, medication, um, which there wasn't a spectrum at all. It was just one thing that, that people have and it was only treated one way. Um, and I thought it really was a death sentence. Like it's, it's like, this is something that you're being diagnosed with and you're going to have to deal with for the rest of your life. And it's going to affect you every single day. Um, it really took me years even after being diagnosed to, to realize that that wasn't the case at all. Yeah. I, I think a lot of people can relate to that, that even when, especially in the, in the beginning stages of receiving treatment, any type of mental health treatment, there's such a learning curve yeah. that is there to be able to really understand even what you're going through yourself. Yeah. 
Yeah, for sure. So talking about after you were diagnosed, you talked about how, you know, leading up to it when your parents kind of realized that something was up, did the conversations uh, like shift in your household about mental health um, or did that still take um, a bit of time? It definitely took time. I will say that during at the end of that week that I was completely debilitated, that week that was like the scariest week of my life and I've been through some scary, scary shit. <laughs> at the end of that week, I had what's still to this day one of the realest conversations I've ever had with my parents, primarily with my mom, who I'm a little bit closer to. And at the end of it, she helped me book my very first therapy appointment, which was a major deal because one, I didn't know so much about mental health disorders. You know, I was coming into depression thinking it was something that it wasn't, but also therapy just was never an option. You know, therapy to me, um, I had always thought it was for quote unquote crazy people, you know, people who are going through this massive thing, mental breakdown in their lives, which, which obviously I was having. Um, but it wasn't some severe thing. It was something that people just go through. You know, therapy is, you know, you need to treat the mind as, as if it's a part of your body, the same way that you can break an arm, you can sort of break your mind for a little bit. And, and there is treatment out there. Um, and therapy was just felt like such a big deal. So having my mom there who, you know, I got my beliefs and thoughts and, and, and I was conditioned to think the way that I was generationally. You know, my parents thought that way, their parents thought that way. So to have her do that with me felt like we were literally breaking a chain. And we were. So she helped me book my very first therapy appointment. I was grateful enough and, and um, to have insurance at the moment. So insurance did pay for it. Um, and that started a very long journey with therapy. I saw that therapist for three years, a um, couple times a week. Uh, and it was the scariest and best thing that I have ever done and I have ever done with my parents. So after that, it really, it was a slow journey, slow progress. I've, I've even um, in therapy got to learn a lot about how my dynamic with my parents affected my mental health issues. I've gotten to actually go to therapy with my parents, which has been, you know, crazy um beneficial for us for our dynamic but just for our family for 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 the world um yeah it's been a really slow but beautiful journey i would say so continuing to talk about that journey how did you get to where you are today like what were you know some of the major realizations that you made during the course of the journey and um, what were some things that you learned, you know, through therapy or just through figuring it out on your own um, to help you get through everything with, with like symptoms of depression and anxiety, but also the fear and hard work that comes with therapy? Uh, therapy and just being diagnosed and my whole like entrance into accepting um hey, I just exist as a human being with mental health disorders was major in itself. But there were so many little things that were actually huge things that have you know, changed the trajectory of my life um, and now have changed the way that I shape the world, might have changed my business as a wellness leader, as, a, as an entrepreneur. Number one, th that really therapy helped me um, come down to and, and really see is that so many of the things that I filed under as truth in my brain, so many things that I thought were true were decided for me long before I could decide for myself. Um, and so 
seeing my therapist and speaking to who was a white woman, by the way, which was a big deal for me too, because I'm sitting here as a Latina who didn't even know, you know, anything about this and have a, a white woman in front of me just speaking to me about these things. It's just created a different, a different dynamic that I, I, I still to this day at 31 years old, I was 23 when I was in therapy for the first time. Um, I'm just like, wow, about, um, but that learning that allowed me to go through years and years of shadow work and really understanding deeply how much I had been conditioned, you know, how much of this conditioning is intergenerational, you know, the way that I think about, you know, mental health, the way that I think about wellness, the way that I think about the world and how all this conditioning really affects our thoughts, our behaviors, and really the trajectory of our lives. Um, because of that, I realized how unique I really was and really helped me embrace, you know, I'm great. And and this is just something that I have to go through. It's not something that I'm going to have to go through every single day. um, But it's just something that I'm going to have to cope with. And that the uniqueness of my identity shapes my experience um, and how I show up in the world that the cultural and societal and generational nuances that make me me also shape my wellness needs that, you know, not everybody's needs are one size fits all. You know, I lived for so long. I think many, you know, people of color especially can resonate with this. I was taught to blend in for so long at the risk of being othered. It took years for me to realize, no, my needs are valid too. You know, closed mouths don't get fed. One of my favorite lines ever, but closed minds don't get healed. You know, so it really took a lot of work, a lot of vulnerability, a lot of bravery to heal the way that I have and to stand up and say, no, actually, this is something that I think for myself and that's something that was taught to me. Um, So I would say that being diagnosed with depression and with anxiety, which came like head on at a time where I, I wasn't ready, you know, we're never ready, but fully taking the reins of my treatment from all angles has really given me the gift of truth, the gift of vulnerability and like the confidence to exist just as I am. That's beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think something that you touched on is how treatment or healing is is very much an individual experience. And it's like you were saying, not one size fits all. And I think it's just really important to elevate stories like yours to continue to show that there are so many different avenues of treatment or healing. So thank you for sharing. Um, Can you talk a little bit more about how being Latina plays a part in your healing journey? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I touched on it a little bit, but like realizing that the way that I exist is different and it's okay was huge. Um, I think we need to have that acknowledgement before we jump head on into our healing journeys. You know, being somebody who is now a wellness teacher and a spiritual guide, I get this question all the time. Well, how do I start? You know, we need to start by acknowledging who we are first, where we are and meeting ourselves where we are, not fully jumping into something that might not fit. So diving into healing, I would say coping with my mental health symptoms and eventually healing myself from the mindsets that would keep me um, dragging through the mud, basically, which is exactly how I felt. Um, I did realize that, you know, these, these coping mechanisms were not one size fits all, that I needed to shift things to fit um, 
the way that I need them, the way that I like them, my language, uh, my culture, you know, my lifestyle. And that meant many different things. That meant therapy, but that also meant the way that I practice self-care at home, the way that I brought those coping mechanisms home with me and the way that I taught them to my family and my loved ones, because, you know, healing is really a community journey. Healing, you need to do it in community. It's, it's, there's a lot of I get really upset when I see these like wellness memes and things like healing happens in solitude. And I don't think that's true at all. So it, it took, again, a lot of bravery to to stand up and say, actually, I know this is going around and a million people are doing this, but this isn't fit for me. So I'm going to have to go on my own and find something or tweak it so that it fits me. Um, I think that the the biggest thing is just existing loudly as I am like, hey, being able to stand up in, in, in a social crowd, I'd say on social media, because that's really where it started was this is where I created my first blog. I, I created my first website in order to talk about these things because I knew that I couldn't be the only one that was feeling this way. I couldn't be the only one that was going through these issues. So I started my very first blog on Tumblr. I don't know if anybody remembers Tumblr uh, back in 2013. And it was just me saying, hey, I'm here, a 20 something year old Latina Americana, first generation. And this is what's something that I'm going through. And I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm terrified, but this is my truth. And realizing that my story not only touched many people, but that so many other people were going through the same thing, you know, Latinx and not, you know, um, was a really beautiful thing. Yeah, I think that's something I'm always interested in, uh, like asking about when it when I hear like someone who went through um, like a really hard time with mental health and now their work kind of surrounds healing and helping people with their mental health. Um, so you talked about how you got there, got to this place, but you know, what were some of the other motivations and then where are you today in your journey while you're also still, while you're also doing this healing work for other people? So other things that got me here was spirituality. Leaning into my mm. spirituality was huge. Um, I didn't know it then, but in the same breath, I was I was being diagnosed and learning how to cope with mental health issues, but also um, really becoming attuned to the fact that I was, I was already on a spiritual journey. Um, so I was going to therapy and then on the weekends I would go to like sister circles and like soul circles and like talk about, you know, the healing modalities that I was trying and like things that I was going through in my relationships and just the ways that I was shifting and growing and expanding. I don't think I would be here if it weren't for joining all these different types of self-care together. Um, and spirituality played a huge, huge, huge part in that. Um, today, you know, I am still that person, but I... I really make it a priority to be who I needed then. I think that's like always number one, my, my MO. Like I need to be who I needed back at 18 when I first got diagnosed and felt like I had to hide it. Um, be who I needed when I was 20 something, you know, in a bed, not being able to get up with no motivation because I didn't see anybody like me that was being open about their own struggles. So I make sure that I'm always open, that I am always available, um, and that I am always telling the truth about about what's going on with me. Um, yeah, I think, and th I think that's kind of the beauty of the internet too, is that you're able to show and like have archives of your yeah. journey, um, so you can see where you were and where you are now. Absolutely. Um, so, talking a little bit more about your work now and like spirituality. You in the beginning, you said that you are an intuitive energy healer. 
can you talk about what that means? Because <laughs> <Yes. laughs> I feel like a lot of people will hear that and not really know what that Right, means. Yeah. right. Yeah, the, the journey to becoming, uh, uh, really owning the fact that I'm a healer, not becoming a healer, because you cannot become a healer. You are one, and you sort of just have to remember um, remember who you are, which is my phrase, my tag. This is what I, what I cling to. Um, yeah, the journey there has been weird because it's been me existing as this very human, very flawed human being who has very serious bouts of depression sometimes, but also remembering who I am as this spiritual being and acting as a bridge for divine guidance and a teacher for people who are also remembering who they are. Like the the duality of it is, I think now I think it's beautiful. Back then I'm like, how the hell am I going to, you know, do both things? People are not going to believe me. So as an intuitive energy healer, I can intuitively connect with people's spirit guides. I'm sort of a spirit guide medium in a way. I can see and feel and, and speak to them. Um, and in my one-on-one sessions, I uh, examine people's energy centers or chakras, which are um, uh, come from ancient India, uh, and really see where they are energetically. You know, we are souls living human experiences. We are energetic beings. We live in an energetic universe. Um, so seeing how it is that we're vibrating and how, you know, whether or not we are or the, or the client is aligned with who they really need to be to, to live this really full life. And it is the joy of my life. It's something that in the beginning I really looked at, like, what the hell am I doing? I don't want to do this. What do you mean? I, this is something that I'm supposed to do. And hearing my spirit guides and like my my teachers be like, they don't care. You know, when, when you have a mission to accomplish, it doesn't matter. Your fear does not matter. Um, so it's really been a crazy journey uh, marrying all these different, different versions of myself. But also a beautiful thing because most of my clientele now are people who also experience mental health issues and, and want to, you know, expand into being full spiritual beings as well and really realizing who they are as uh, souls living human experiences so it's, it's been a really really like it makes all the sense to me now it didn't make sense then but it makes sense now and not only have I learned to accept myself as whole but I'm like fully living it and, and I'm really really proud to to say that yeah I'm I guess my question just because you know the traditional which we talked about this a little bit but treatment like the traditional way people think of treatment is medication Mm -hmm. going to therapy um, hospitalization if needed but you are bringing this like whole other modality in it where you use your spirituality Um, I think I just wonder how you get to that place and like how does someone kind of take those reins and because I like like using myself as an example Mm -hmm. I've been getting treatment for years since I was for like over a decade now. Mm -hmm. And a year ago, I kind of realized that, oh, these things haven't been working. And there's a whole other part of myself that I've been ignoring by only using this type of treatment and by only abiding to kind of the Western form of treatment. Mm -hmm. But I think, again, it took so long for me to realize that that was the case. And I feel like you can get in these like thought bubbles um, and treatment bubbles of like, this is what I have to do. And it's not working. It's not treatment's fault. It's my fault. Right. Yeah. So I guess I'm just wondering, um, is there a difference in your opinion between treatment and healing? Um, Yeah. 
Good question. Just want to know your thoughts. <laughs> I think I've always been the type of person that likes to try all things. It's in my bloodline. It's in, I'm a Gemini. I'm very multifaceted. Um, so when it came time to treat and heal, which I do think are two different things, um, I wanted to try it all. So I never tell people like to shy away from or like speak down on medication or as a form of treatment or therapy as a form of treatment because I've done them. Um, I, you know, if you go to my YouTube channel, I have videos on my mental health journey, the, the fact that I went to therapy, I have resources and talk about medication, but I also have, you know, resources about how to do moon rituals and like how to tap into your spirituality as a form of healing. I think we sometimes, like you said, want blame ourselves immediately when something isn't working instead of going outside of our comfort zones. You know, we, especially as Americans, right, we, we go straight towards what we what we're taught uh, is the only way to treat and heal things. And I think it's totally acceptable. And we're, we're always supported and going different routes and trying different things. I think that was of all the stupid decisions I've made in my in my younger years, one of the smartest things I did um, was look outside of what I thought I knew um, and really try everything, even if it didn't make sense to me. I wanted to know because I couldn't just be there couldn't just be one route um, because that one route just sometimes didn't work for me. So I needed to have different avenues to try. So. Right now, the, one of the most beautiful things is that in my spiritual work, I also work with therapists who, you know, are seeing clients and they sort of reach a plateau with their clients and they want to know the spiritual roots of something that, you know, their clients are, are going through. So I take so much pride in signing those those papers to like uh, be a liaison and basically speak to the therapist about about this person's treatment because doing that is, is I, I, I'm continuing to break these chains. You know, I broke it for myself existing in this way and, and, and saying yes to treatment um, and saying yes to healing in all these different ways. But I'm continuing to do that in my work, in my day to day. And, you know, working with licensed professionals as in, you know, doing what I do is just unheard of. Like it's, it's a conversation I feel like that people are not having yet. And I'm very happy. I just actually just got off Instagram uh, take, doing a poll with my followers about whether or not they're ready to have this conversation about mental health and spirituality and so far so good. So I'm ready to have that very, very, very soon um, because it's something that's not spoken about. And I think, I think people are ready to see the duality of healing. Yeah, I, I agree. I think especially in this past year, there has been a lot more focus on mental health and I think it's like the perfect time to be having the conversation of, how spirituality is so intertwined with yeah. mental health. Yeah, it's definitely um, a beautiful intersection of spirituality and mental health when it comes to healing. And I'm so ready to have that conversation. Can you talk more about that intersection? I think we would be here for another day <laughs> or so <laughs> if I did fully speak on it. Um, but I just think to, to, to make it simple, mm -hmm. we really have to see ourselves as as multifaceted, multifaceted, as multidimensional beings, you know, we have to see ourselves as more than just a body. We are a body with a brain with, you know, all these very intricate 
systems within us and with a soul. And we have to spend an equal amount of time with each of them. Um, it's basically, that's the way that I explain it to my clients when they, you know, when I tell them, hey, one of your chakras, it's kind of off. Um, they're like, what does that mean? I'm like, you're just not, you're only spending time with with one part of you and you are a multidimensional being. Um, so on the road to like really actualizing this full life and just even feeling fine, like we just want to wake up feeling fine, is checking in with ourselves, check in with your mind, um, check in with your spirit, check in with your heart, check in with your soul. I think that's really important. Um, and then kind of just jumping back a little bit, can you kind of define spirituality? Because I feel like some people hear that word and think it has to do with like a religion. Mm -hmm. um, so can you just talk about what spirituality is? Yeah. I don't think, I think religion is in there and some people subscribe to a religion and that's okay. And some people don't. Spirituality is whatever your belief system is. Um, some people argue that they don't have a belief system, but I think that even the people who argue that they don't believe in something, um, it's really more the belief system. I, I often encounter because my, my clientele are mostly black indigenous people of color. I get the question, well, is it okay if I go to church and I get these readings, like I'm doing this in secret. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, for sure. Like, I just spoke to your spirit guide and they're totally cool. Like, they're super cool with you doing anything that makes you feel more spiritually enlightened. You know, I go to church and I have crystals and I do these readings and I'm able to speak to spirit guides. And I really, really, you know, Jesus is my my man's, you know, like it's it's OK. The, the more that we persecute ourselves for doing things the way that we do. Is, is the the more that we separate ourselves from true from true joy. And as a woman who has battled with, again, mental health disorders for now, in retrospect, my entire life, um, if I would have known that sooner, I would have been in a way different place. Yeah, and I think you just touched on how even, like, just like healing, spirituality is not a one-size-fit-all. It's oh, sure. different for each and every person. For sure, for sure. Yeah. So I guess my last question that I have is what is something that you wish people knew more about um, for you, either depression or just the healing journey, like either something you wish people knew more or something you wish you knew at the beginning of your journey? I think it's definitely what's been the theme of this conversation is that, you know, treatment and healing are not one size fits all. Yeah. I think that's still under talked about it's not talked about enough it's underappreciated like people need to be screaming this from rooftops um i think mental health right now and spirituality and just wellness in general have been super super are being actively commodified um to, to be able to sell us something that is like a cure-all and and i say you know i tell people to heed warning when they see stuff like that like really like stop and think if this thing is number one true really able to help you and number three has your best interests in mind there is no such thing as a cure-all there's no such thing there are definitely tools and resources out there that are valuable that can help us very 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 much change and shift um, and expand um, but it's not one size fits all and there's not going to be one thing that you're going to do um don't, doesn't matter who you are, what you do, what you're dedicated to, that's going to help you a thousand percent. So try it all, do it all, be brave, be vulnerable, and just be okay. Love your whole, whole, whole self. Okay, great. Um, 
Lastly, how can my audience and I stay up to date with you and the work that you do? Yes, please do. I am at melaniesantos.co.co. That is my website. Um, My offerings are there as well. My uh, schedule of events. I'm actually going to be having a mental health and spirituality event very, very soon. One on Instagram and one for my private membership community. Uh, So stay tuned for that coming in May, which I believe is Mental Health Awareness Month. Um, And then my my Instagram is also melaniesantos.co. I'm also on YouTube. I'm on Twitter. And I would love to meet everybody there. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed this conversation. Likewise. Um, I wasn't expecting it to go in the route that it did, but I'm really glad that it did. And I'm excited for people to hear it. Thank you. Yeah, me too. These are things that people are not often talking about, but I've always been one to break the mold. So I'm grateful. I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of Students of Mind. I'm so excited to be back and I'm looking forward to sharing the great discussions that I've been having with you all. If you would like to learn more about BetterHelp or to connect with Haisu, you can go to the description of this episode. In the description, you will also find all the links to follow Melanie's work, as well as links to resources to learn more about depression and some of the other topics mentioned in the episode. If you'd like to see more of Students of Mind, you can follow us on Instagram at Students of Mind. And if you'd like to see more about my own mental health journey, you can follow me on Instagram at Jade M. Barber. I hope you learned something new today, and I look forward to sharing more with you next time. Hello, I'm Dr. Stephen Farber, and I am an author, teacher, psychotherapist, and shamanic practitioner. On my podcast, Healing for Your Soul, I welcome some amazing guests and introduce you to some healing techniques like earth magic, working with nature and animals, and really getting to the heart of what is keeping you stuck. I want to help you deepen your spirituality and let go of blocks that are holding you back. Let me help you in this journey called life. Part of the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network. Subscribe and follow wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode.